Welcome to the Responsible Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Carol Sanford, your host. I am the author of The Responsible Entrepreneur, four game-changing archetypes for founders, leaders, and impact investors. We provide education and inspiration on responsible entrepreneurship and impact investing. We believe here that all human beings were born with entrepreneurship in their DNA, but it often gets lost along the way. So we educate startups, second and third stage growth companies, entrepreneurs inside of larger corporations and impact investors on re-enlivening that personal agency and directing it toward changing the world. As Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple said, I wanna put a dent in the universe. Or as Larry Page said, the co-founder of Google, let's make sure we have a 10X return on every project. We tell a bit of one entrepreneur or entrepreneur's story in every podcast. Today's subject is how to ensure success in a responsible entrepreneur venture. Since I work with businesses who have a vision and a mission, I am often asked, what is the most core determiner of success for a small business or a unit inside of a business? How do you make a difference while you fight that battle to stay in business? Impact investors also want to know what success looks like, since their investment is measuring not only financial return, but social return. My answer to that question says, start with knowing how to differentiate yourself in the market. Being an also-ran makes it really hard to have people want to be loyal and to follow you. Then what you have to do is compete on price and everything else goes downhill from there. So we've found a pretty surefire way to get that differentiation to happen. That is being true to yourself and that yourself is you personally as the founder or the leader or maybe co-founders. You do that by revealing what we call essence. When a business is in touch with its essence as a reference point, everything else it undertakes has a multiplier force and it magnifies clarity. Essence is the singularity that makes a thing what it is. It constitutes or marks its true nature or its distinctive character. It's the one thing that no matter what else you take away, you cannot take it away and still have the entity be what it is. That's what you need to get in touch with. Secondly, I wanna give you an example of that essence. When we worked with Seventh Generation, we found that Jeffrey Hollander and his company had an essence called systemic dissonance and transparency. It led them to being able to create the whole movement that was about putting all ingredients fully on the package and moving Walmart to do the same. It made Seventh Generation the voice of the consumer products industry in relation to everything that touches the body. The second thing that you need to do to ensure success is to do exactly the same thing with your customers, or if you call them guests, and or a consumer. What is it that they are seeking to do to differentiate themselves? What is their essence? Then how do you build an essence-to-essence -essence connection with them to do for them exactly what they need even though they don't know to ask for it? So continuing our seventh generation example, let's take natural parents, which is one of their primary buyers. What those folks want in their essence and core is non-toxic exposure for their entire family for pets, but especially their small children who are crawling on a floor. So seventh generation taught them how to have a safe home and how to keep it that way. They also built a partnership with Babies or Us so they could see this essence to essence connection. So secondly, 
Understand the essence and uniqueness and differentiation of your customers. Third, if you're in a specific place, think about the place that you're building your business. If you draw on the essence of that place, you will shine and you will build a community of followers when you are in a local area. We call that doing story of place, which is a process built by Regenesis Group. What is the story that makes that place unique? When you connect that, you build fans all around. Clearly, when I say, what's the uniqueness of Paris, you have an image, or New York, an image. The same is true for every small community. We have a guest with us today who has founded two ventures that have really paid attention to these particular guidelines. His name is Robbie Vitrano. He's going to speak about the importance of matching at an essence level with investors and what happens if you do not. Robbie lives in New Orleans, and he founded something called the Idea Village. It is a place where entrepreneurs come together, and they are given education, consulting, and capital access based on the culture and the story of New Orleans. The second thing that they invite in this same venture is for people who really believe in the New Orleans startups to come and be a part of it. They've built a network for people who love New Orleans and what it has to offer. He has a second venture, which also is very true to his essence, called Naked Pizza. And some of you probably have eaten at a Naked Pizza. You will hear how much it is, who he is, that he wanted really healthy products. So naked means natural. His pizzas are an honest diversity of all natural whole food ingredients that taste better and are better for you. It has whole grain crusts and it has probiotics in it. So let's talk to Robbie and see what he has to say about essence. Well, why don't you say just a little bit about what Idea Village is in case people don't know about it because it's still a platform, it looks like. It is. So uh, Idea Village is, um, it really is uh, very much a, an entrepreneurial hub. So that includes accelerator type programs. So it has a bit of that, um, you know, Y Combinator, Techstar sort of feel to it. Uh, but the, the decided difference is that uh, Ida Village was sort of founded on a hypothesis, and that really was all it was at the time, was that um, uh, there are the Silicon Valley models of entrepreneurship that involve a great deal of talent, sophisticated talent, investment, um, uh, sort of the, the usual suspects that are stacked up in, you know, in great volume. And then there are those communities that want to engage entrepreneurship as a platform to essentially self-determine that uh, for those communities that want to be more like themselves, that want to recognize uh, where is their legacy expertise, and that involves more members of the community, and sort of use that platform of creativity and incentive to create businesses that not only create wealth and create jobs and all those other metrics, but also contribute to a community that people want to live in. So Idea Village was created around that idea. And so what it really went about doing was, A, identifying those aspects of business that are aligned with the interests of the community. So if, as you can imagine, maybe verticals that uh, draw upon legacy experience and legacy expertise, as well as emerging ones that fit with the community, and then provide uh, an organizing platform to bring together not only the entrepreneurs and the investors, but also to the community. So what started as four people that essentially said entrepreneurship matters has now grown into an international network of over 5,000 stakeholders that uh, essentially are focused on supporting 
entrepreneurial efforts within the city of New Orleans. And so that manifests as a number of accelerator programs, uh, some that are more general, others that are focused on our verticals here, such as EdTech. New Orleans is the site of one of the largest education reform initiatives in U.S. history, uh, again, as a result of Katrina. Uh, water management is one area of expertise. Uh, food is one major area in our community of focus, so a great deal of entrepreneurship around food, drawing on our, our culinary heritage. Um, and then, of course, you know, there are areas of technology, uh, hospitality, other areas. Um, so we have those verticals. Uh, we do an event every year called Entrepreneur Week, which is a week-long event, which uh, was initiated by providing um, sort of experiential learning opportunities for business schools who came to the community, partnered with uh, local entrepreneurs uh, to help them sort of you know, build their businesses again and build their contribution uh, this has now grown to a massive citywide event. And one of the things about it that's really interesting is that in addition to, again, uh, having some of our best and most promising businesses, um, you know, compete in business plan type competitions, debut to investors, et cetera, it's also an invitation to the greater community to step into the entrepreneurial mind space and consider how they might participate. So, for instance, at our big event, you'll see lots of kids. Lots of parents will bring their kids out to this event. We've turned it into something that New Orleans does very well, great big public events that invite people to participate. So we've actually used, in many respects, kind of the Mardi Gras model, which uh, basically is a uh, unregulated, for, for the most part. It's, it's, it's run by private organizations that come together after some planning over the course of the year for one big blowout for two weeks that uh, essentially involves and engages the public. So you're, you're responsible for programming, you're responsible for invitations, but it's also the way that New Orleanians behave. It's the way we congregate, it's the way we share information. So to take that platform and uh, inject sort of the entrepreneurial opportunities uh, has been one of the real key focuses and one of the big successes of Ida Village. So tell us about at least one of the startups that you've been intimately connected to and why you decided to move just a little more into the startup world yourself. Yeah, so um, I found myself, you know, as you can imagine, so I'll take the second half of that question. But uh, I think for everybody, uh, you sort of come to those points where you say, okay, I'm doing a lot of facilitating and I'm, you know, consulting on work, but I need to get a little deeper into the machine and put some of these things to work. So initially, uh, I was working directly with startups, but mostly as an advisor and a mentor. So the the natural progression was to say, okay, let's get you know deeper into the machine and actually start a few things. So uh, one area of particular interest for me is food, health, and nutrition. And um, so one of the companies that I was involved with as a co-founder is a company called Naked Pizza. And um, so Naked Pizza's, uh, you know, conceit was to say, could you use the fast food uh, industry, the platform, this pervasive, wildly successful business platform as a way to demonstrate uh, a new kind of behavior? And that being uh, to use that all that infrastructure, all that distribution, all that great marketing and manufacturing know-how uh, to deliver a product that actually helps instead of harms. So uh, in we took essentially one of the world's most popular uh, products, food products, pizza, but also one of the most unhealthy food products, 
and and it was redesigned. So essentially uh, addressing some of the, the the real problems associated with a product like that. Um, so uh, using additional grains and whole grains in the crust instead of highly processed carbohydrates, uh, using a little more fiber, uh, cleaning up all the additives in the vegetables. So when you take some of these steps in an intentional way, you actually create a product that you know is more whole food focused. It actually has nutritional benefits to it. And it addresses very specifically some of those issues we're all becoming very much acquainted with, such as the rise in uh, type 2 diabetes uh, and obesity, which uh, to oversimplify has a lot to do with the fact that globally we've become very, very good at growing a whole lot of wheat and processing it into a very simple carbohydrate your body recognizes as sugar and figuring out a whole lot of ways to turn it into products that people readily consume. Um, so. Um, it was an interesting way to sort of say, let's use what I understand about design. Let's use what I understand about communication and to, uh, to in a sense, use that industry as a Trojan horse. So let's not reinvent what works well in that industry, and, but let's, let's reformulate an aspect of it in such a way that it actually has a benefit to society. So I'm going to follow up with two questions out of that. Um, the first one is you're talking about getting investors who – you want to be able to build, grow at a rate that you want to be able to grow. And yet you have to, um, I don't know what you call, sell them on the story or help them understand what they're getting into. What are criteria for you that you present? Plus, you probably make some judgment calls about who you want to have playing with you long term. How do you think about that when you're relating to impact or investors generally? Yeah, again, I think... um it's important to be clear about why you're doing what you're doing. And so, you know, if there's any uh, uh, reservations uh, on the part of an investor relative to the people that they're, you know, getting into bed with, so to speak, um, it's good to surface that as soon as possible. So, you know, you, you, um, you're always mindful of, you know, how you sort of shine up for a meeting um, and you certainly are interested in attracting that investment um, but you know, again, uh, my my philosophy would be that it's 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 a little too painful to be involved with the wrong people, especially when money's into the picture. So, I think it, it's important to get beyond that a bit. Now, again, you know how far you get beyond that, it's usually pretty difficult because it's you know it's a it's a honeymoon period of some sort at that stage. So, getting somebody excited about it, but about an idea and a concept, but excited about it, you know, in a way that um, is, you know, true to your own intentions and ambitions are extremely important um, relative to the investment relationship. So, you know, again, it's nice when you can sit down with an investor and talk about sort of a range of issues that are, you know, of course, related to the enterprise, but maybe not directly to get a sense of uh, how people spend their day and, you know, what those priorities and what's important to them. Um, but, you know, when you're moving down that path, I think once those things are established, then again, you know, I think you, you want to be clear about, you know, the, not only the, the value of what you're proposing, uh, which is sort of obvious, um, but then again, more importantly, um, you know, what are the uh, expectations, you know, relative to growth? I'm wondering if you could give us a concrete example where you've discovered and you would say, well, I think I learned something about that or that went really well or my goodness, I fell in a hole and I had to come out of that just so that 
people could get a feel for what goes on in your head and then in your engagement in a real life situation you've dealt with. Sure. Well, I've got uh, maybe more than a few of each type, but um, one of one of our investors in uh, Naked Pizza early on was Mark Cuban, and um, uh, you know, as everyone knows, you know, a guy like Cuban, who's not a bad guy in any respect, but uh, is a guy that you know certainly brings a lot of opinions and uh, a lot of a lot of. Uh, uh, well, just a whole lot of noise and influence and all kinds of things. I mean, and so uh, in in the early days of Naked Pizza, we were eager to uh, to test this idea. Uh, we were really interested in in gaining some traction and influence. We'd built the model for scale, aggressive scale, and um, uh, the the good of having somebody like a Cuban involved in it, even in the positioning that went along with that idea, was that it gave us a great deal of visibility and, um, and it, it sets expectations very high. The, uh, the, maybe the, maybe the, the uninvestigated aspects of that type of, uh, relationship, uh, you know, is, uh, you, you, this was created, it's a mission-based company. It was created around this idea of using this fast food concept to, to start to a, a dialogue and a conversation about how people, and what sort of impacts resulted in that. And um, some of those uh, aspects, you know, start to get into the nuances of, of your hiring practice and how you design your business and the customer experience, et cetera. And some of those types of designs, which are more nuanced, which are very time sensitive, uh, certainly very sensitive to time delays, um, could be very much at odds with people looking for faster returns. So, you know, the, the, the typical conversation in any fast food type of enterprise, any small business of any sort is going to be, there's going to be a great deal of emphasis on unit economics, for instance. So unit economics are not that mysterious in a business like a carryout and delivery pizza design. So you start to look at uh, areas of cost saving, cost cutting, uh, labor costs, et cetera, and uh, you find yourself um, actively battling the conversation around what creates a business that is able to fulfill its uh, its full mission and impact uh, with the, the business dynamics. Nothing unusual about that, but uh, the fact was that this ended up in a fairly significant impasse with an investor like Cuban relative to the way the company was crafted and the mission and, uh, and the pressures to achieve certain unit economics and scale. So that ne- didn't necessarily go all that well. That wasn't maybe the happiest of, of circumstances. So I have a couple of uh, questions that uh, are a hint at where we started, but I'd like to go back there. Um, you're obviously a very principled person. You think about what is the most appropriate. I don't know whether you'd call it right, what, what your words are, but I'm always curious about if you had to state what the two or three principles are that you reference. They tend to come into your mind. I mean, they're everything from doing to others, right, which is in all religions around the world. But I suspect you have two or three that tell you whether you are living up to the self you want to be and having the businesses live up to the potential for them. Can you, in kind of a succinct way, give us one, a little explanation, two, a little explanation, and three, so we can see what your principles are? One of the, the key 
principles that sort of drive my work uh, is can we use that language, which is very powerful, in a way to discuss our alignment. Um, so, so, uh, so for instance, when one talks about uh, human dignity uh, relative to uh, its, uh, how it's unpacked and how it's expressed within an organization, relative to the relationships between the people that are creating a business, relative to uh, the relationships in the marketplace, or a value such as stewardship, um, or a value such as craftsmanship. Uh, they have some very specific meanings to them. Um, and, and of course, they're open to interpretation, but it's very useful to use these words and their powerful applications in a way that a group of people that are deciding to take that thousand mile journey can really speak to values that are important. Um, so again, I think um, it challenges two things. I mean, one is that it creates some uncomfortable conversations. And secondly, it uh, forces you to maybe not get ahead of yourself uh, because, you know, again, most people in this game are optimists. And, you know, the good of being an optimist is you're an optimist. You, you sort of believe it's possible. The bad of being an optimist is sometimes you don't like to hear the bad news. And uh, I think to press yourself to explore uh, the bad news um, early on in a way that's respectful in a way that's uh, sort of objectifying your own opinions is extremely powerful. Again, so for people just to treat one another in a dignified way. So the favorite question that I ask people, not because I love it, although I have to admit I do, but is uh, how do you get in your own way, right? Because people want to know everyone falls in ditches. Everyone is partly their own worst yeah. enemy, as Pogo said. And you agreed you'd share just a little bit of that with us. So go for so, it. So, uh, for me, the, uh, the notion of, of getting my, I mean, it's, um, the two sides of that coin, the getting in my way coin, uh, is curiosity, you know, sort of that, that boundless curiosity, uh, or the ADHD and, and then the anxiety, you know, so they're both basically motivated by, uh, an interest in doing interesting things, working with interesting people, seeing interesting places, experiencing interesting, uh, you know, experiences. So the, the curiosity piece that uh, comes with that um, can become a distraction. There's only so many hours in the day. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit older. So you start to not quite have the 24 hours in a day that you thought you used to have. You know, you remember when, when there was a time when because you were interested in something, if you had to get it done and it was, you know, one day, two days, three days, that meant it was 24 hours, dimes those days. And now I need sleep. You know, um, so uh, and there's other people in my life that I need to make sure that I'm giving time to. It's not just about me. So um, disciplining that curiosity is probably the, the most important piece for me in terms of, you know, removing that as a distraction. And, and I think, you know, uh, maybe a, a less glib way to think about it. And some of the people I respect the most are very good about this conversation. You know, we, we, we all know the typical distractions that exist in our life, you know, relative to technology and emails and all those other things. And uh, yet we all complain about being too busy. We all complain about not having enough time to focus on this. And I just think that, you know, the ability to make decisions about those priorities uh, and reinforcing that in your peer groups, uh, amongst your business partners, and really allowing for that, you know, that time of leisure, as it's called, uh, within your day, allowing for that, that downtime 
it's so important. And typically, hard charging people, especially in the startup environment, do a really lousy job of it. So that was pretty exciting. I'm sure you could hear very much the points that I was talking about before I interviewed Robbie. What you could hear is when he talked about naked pizza, it's what his life is about, staying healthy, and he wants to do that for everyone he knows. And then when you hear him talk about Idea Village, he really paid attention to New Orleans and what's the story of that place. He builds businesses with both of those in mind, and he pays attention to how his business can succeed, therefore. If you would like to hear the entire interview, then you can visit my website, carolsanford.com, where you will find a link under our podcast section. Also, if you would like to take the quiz that is based on the responsible entrepreneur, you can find out which nature of entrepreneur archetype you tend to take on and what you need to learn more about. And if you buy five copies or more of The Responsible Entrepreneur off of my website and you mention this podcast, I will give you a 30-minute consultation on your business. And I am excited to tell you that this book has won two awards in the last two weeks. One is the International Book Award for the Best Entrepreneur and Small Business Book on the Planet. Soundview Summaries has selected it as one of the 30 best business books overall for 2014 and will be creating a summary of the book. So find us more at carolsanford.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.